perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for this bird's eye view of the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible, from the beginning to the end. After completing the first five books of the Bible in the previous podcast, we have now come to the 12 historical books of the Old Testament. It is important to at least try to read these books as we progress through this brief overview of the Bible. There are wonderful truths in the Bible which, if you grasp them, will deliver you from many weaknesses and failures that you might be experiencing in your life right now. Most of the weaknesses that we all experience in the church today is caused by us hearing things being proclaimed from the pulpit and us never checking to see if they are true because we do not know or read the Bible. We have just finished looking at the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. In these books we saw God's pattern of working in the human life. The Pentateuch ends with us ready to enter the land of promise, ready for victory. And so this brings us to the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther. If the Pentateuch is the section which gives us the pattern of how God works, then the historical books give us the perils or dangers which will confront us when we try to walk in the life of faith. What is the purpose of history? History is the story of man. God is in history, but he is working behind the scenes. History is the story of man's ongoing cycle of failure, the sequence of the rise and fall of one empire and kingdom after another, over and over again. Firstly, these historical books of the Bible trace the history of a single nation with a special ministry, a representative nation, Israel. What happens to them is a picture of all the dangers that men will encounter anywhere. Secondly, these historical books give us a special illustration of the perils, pressures and problems which come upon every Christian believer as they attempt to walk the life of faith. It is very important to know our enemies. These historical books show us the perils which beset the life of faith and the means of victory over them. The first of the historical books is Joshua. It begins with a story of victory, the entrance of Israel into the land of promise, the place where God intended them to be all along when he first brought them out of Egypt. Christian life is not only a question of being brought out of, but also entering into. Many of us are quite content to be brought out of Egypt, but never quite get around to entering into the land. In the book of Joshua, Israel is now entering into the land. This book is a story of great triumph and victory, the experience of conquest. I call the following section of the book of Joshua the tale of three cities. What was the first enemy that faced Israel as they came across the Jordan River? It was the imposing city of Jericho, with its enormous walls that archaeologists tell us were about 30 meters high and 9 meters thick. A super fortress of a city, an impregnable barrier. I am convinced that the Israelites said to each other, how can we ever take a walled city like this? Now apply that question to your own life. Have you ever felt like that? Has there been anything in your life which has seemed to you to be an insurmountable obstacle? 
something you have struggled with that has mocked and defeated you for years, and nothing you are able to do seems to have any effect on it. That is your Jericho. What did God do? No army general in his right mind would ever devise a strategy like this. In Joshua 6 verses 1 to 20, it describes God's strategy. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do so for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And on the second day they marched around the city once, and returned into the camp, so they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day, and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and being trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Many Christians have discovered, when they begin to lay hold of the truth and the indwelling life of Christ Jesus, which is what entering into the land signifies, 
that many obstacles which were once a problem suddenly disappear. They simply aren't there. Their walls have totally collapsed and there is immediate victory. Jericho is a picture of the world's attack upon the Christian and of the victory over the world which is available in Jesus Christ. The Jericho story is followed immediately by the story of Ai, which can be found in Joshua 7 verses 2 to 5. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Ai was an insignificant little town. Nobody thought anything of it. It was just a small village, so Joshua sent only a few men, as he thought that Ai posed no threat. But the Israelite soldiers came back defeated. Joshua went before the Lord and found that there was sin in the camp. Some of the soldiers had kept the loot from Jericho that they were supposed to have destroyed. This example speaks of the things we think are insignificant and that we think the Lord won't mind us keeping after we become Christians, like bad habits, thought patterns, possessions, relationships with the world, etc. These insignificant things will lead to our defeat. AI is the picture of the flesh, its subtlety, things that seem insignificant. We think we can control our tempers and our lusts and our evil thoughts just if we set our minds to it, but we discover that it is not that easy. The story of AI is followed by the Battle of Gibeon, which is the story of deceit. This can be found in Joshua 9 verses 3 to 16. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and made ready provisions and took out worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. All their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live amongst us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did for the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who live in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants, come now and make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you, but now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. 
and Joshua made peace with them, and made a covenant with them, to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days after they made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors, and that they lived among them. Joshua and all the hosts of Israel were deceived by a handful of Gibeonites, who disguised themselves in old clothes, and took moldy bread, and pretended to have come from a long way off. The Gibeonites made a pact with Joshua that he would protect them. Then the Israelites discovered that the Gibeonites were from the city right over the next hill. This represents the subtle deceitfulness of Satan. All the perils of our lives are shown in the book of Joshua. Each of these historical books has a peculiar peril or danger of its own. If we carefully study each book for its peril, we will find right along with it the appearance of at least one individual who is given victory over that peril. In the book of Joshua, it is the man Joshua himself. If we read Joshua 13 verses 1, we discover Joshua's peril. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. Joshua's failure was premature contentment. The book of Joshua is a picture of any believer who understands Christ's indwelling life and can immediately experience victory over Satan. But somewhere along the line, there is an incomplete victory. We decide to settle down and begin to enjoy the fruits of victory, but there is a temptation to premature contentment, settling for an incomplete conquest. Are we experiencing this? Matthew 5 verses 6 has a promise for us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst must mark the whole of our life. We should never get over it. We should always be on the march. There was never a slowdown in Joshua's life, never a willingness to stop the march. He was on the march until the day of his death. He never stopped. This is the appearance of the individual in the book of Joshua who didn't succumb to the danger of premature contentment. Joshua's last words to Israel in Joshua 24 verses 15 should be an encouragement to us all to continue the march. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the podcast of the Bible, From the Beginning to the End, Episode 8. Music